Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season we're digging into 1975, and this week we are bouncing around our memories with Andre Tarkovsky's The Mirror. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, that this show is also a game in which points are awarded for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. The winner will be my best friend for a week and have gloating rights. I'm Mike Gravano, arbiter of those rules and points. Last week's winner, I believe, is my best friend, Greg. I think that's right. <laughs> I, I believe I won by a few points, and that's why I've been in such a good mood all week Greg. long. Even though I came in and I was grumpy pants about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which that could have cost me, but I guess it did not. No, the kind of host I am, Greg, the kind of friend mm. I am, Greg, even if we disagree, that doesn't mean I'll hold it against you. If you argue no. well. And plus, if I remember correctly, my not best friend, your competitor, Ryan, also did not like the movie. So you both were... No, Ryan t- liked t- it took a, a different stance than Untrue. One. Oh. Just doesn't pay attention. Just if it... If- like he's not Mike's best friend, then just doesn't give a shit or listen. I to thought him. it was Greg and Ryan anti movie Mike super movie. I I think we said multiple times throughout that show. Greg is the lowest, Mike is the highest, and I'm in the middle, but closer to Mike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so fuck you. Very Ryan. true. You get a point for remembering that. Not best friend. <laughs> Love that nickname. Uh, <laughs> but Greg did beat me by three points. Yeah. That's what I love about you. Uh, you really hold on to it. You if really just grip how many points you lose by every week. If we're out here complimenting each other, I would say that Ryan did an incredible job of uh, taking that loss and being a good sportsman about it for maybe the first time in movie of the year history. You took it in stride. You really did. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I did what I can, and uh, I left it all out on the podcast. It's yeah. Normally, uh, super patrons, $50 a month, uh, are used to hearing your rant. It's just an hour-long rant when Ryan loses but last week he was just when like hey guys it's not gonna be an hour i just uh tried hard lost that's fine that's because motherfucker you're the one who set up the patreon and for 50 bucks a month i didn't know this they get to come over chain me up and tickle me while i rant and so that's <laughs> how you get to hear it rant dog rant is that worth 50 dollars? well 50 dollars a month yeah yeah, never mind, yeah. one time fee no um <laughs> but i think part of it too i'm you know slowly learning after a hundred something episodes how movie of the year works and uh, when it's uh, a show like Jaws or Today with Mir, then me and Greg really fucking want to win. When it's Holy Grail, it's like, I don't fucking care. Good job, yeah. dude. Did you want to no. win? No, you could win. That's okay. <laughs> what a fun reason to not try. Yeah, lame That's excuse, That's where you like Ryan. out of competitors. Uh, no, not lame excuse. Brilliant excuse. And thank you. Greg. Greg gets a point because Ryan's right. an email. Today, The Mirror... Andre Tarkovsky, what is there to say? Not much. Probably be a short show. But before it'll we be get our into lowest it, rated show of all time. Uh, hey, here's one of those movies you've never heard of. Ryan, what is your experience with Tarkovsky? Uh, Tarkovsky, I have seen half. I would say half. I think that he is uh, about six movies. Uh, I have seen this before. I have seen Stalker before, and I had seen uh, The Sacrifice before. Um, so I have some Tarkovsky holes, mm-hmm. but this is one that I watched before and only once and just knew that like, well, I should watch that again sometime and then just sort of moved on with my life. Just whistled away. Yeah. Um, well, where would you put it in the, the, the ones you've seen? Oh man, this is number one. I think having only seen two, this and stalker. I get that. I agree. Out of the ones I've seen, this is number one by a lot. Fuck Stalker. I hate that movie. I have not seen Andre Rublev, but I've seen a poster of it. 
<laughs> so that's pretty Probably cool. Rather recently. Greg, what is your Tarkovsky experience? Besides this, zero. So the first time I saw Mirror was the first time I had seen any of his movies. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I thought it would be like complicated and difficult to... Yeah, did you know the like legend or the lore of the man... The Ballad no, of Andre uh, Tarkovsky. Honestly, I and I still don't know anything about him. I mean, I, I after watching the movie once, I was like, "Okay, Greg, you didn't understand that big guy. Like that was <laughs> you hardly got through that. So you're gonna have to figure out how you want to approach this." <laughs> uh, and and after a lot of soul searching, I was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna watch it a few times and then see. Like, I'm gonna do the best that I can. You know." And I watched it a second time, and I was like, "Wait, I think I might understand parts of this." And I just finished up my third watching right before we started, and. I still have like I still have half the questions I did initially, but for a lot of them, I bet if I guessed the answer, I would guess correctly. And mm-hmm. I understand that if you just watch Mirror to watch it again seems insane because it is not a uh, laugh a minute Hollywood blockbuster. No. But it's it, like I've said this about movies before, but it's like the first time that you drive somewhere, it seems so to take so long to get there right and then once you know how to get there and you're going again it like it feels like the drive is like half the time watching mirror again now that everything has been sort of imprinted in your mind even if you don't understand everything you know where it's going it it feels like it's literally half the length of the first time you watch it is is that because you're no longer doing the what is going on plot wise and you're just getting all these little details and the emotions and you're using the clues that you collected from the first time to sort of be like okay pay attention to what's going like why is this person acting this way see if you can figure it out when the scene begins and not when the person acting that way starts you know it's just like new is scary new is arduous and it's not new anymore you know and so yeah and you do the movie does train you and i mean you could say right off like you shouldn't have to watch a movie more than once therefore it's a failure and i get that but uh, that's like Pauline Kale, like that's her style. But the movie trains you how to watch it, and therefore, when you go back the second time, it it feels completely different. I I get why that argument is there because things can be difficult, and people most people want to eat popcorn and tune out for movies. But as we uh, uh, a com a common refrain is, movies can be so many things. Yeah. And it's okay that Mirror isn't Fast Ten. I think if Independence Day was like this, then that would be a problem, right? Yeah. Like you. Right. You didn't service your audience, and there was a <laughs> there is a uh, cover of one of the movie posters and one of the DVDs of the mini that were released is a uh, image of a woman floating over her bed, and that's bullshit. Like that, if you yeah, if you rented that movie, you are going to be upset. But <laughs> I wanted a horror movie <laughs> for people who are into Tarkovsky. Then you're it, you're gonna be stoked because this is Tarkovsky as fuck. We we famously do not do documentaries on this show because they're a different thing than what we're trained and paid and honed to talk about. Are art films not in that same... They're not the same camp, but a, a, a parallel camp to documentaries of this is so different from what we normally do? I don't no, think so. No, I don't think this is dramatically different than than some of the other like really like sort of uh, toothy and robust movies that, that mm-hmm. we've watched. It's just... it. This is a movie for people who have seen a ton of movies, love the medium, and want like... A little stretch. A little bit something extra. Yeah, something that doesn't unpack itself 
and say exactly what it is the first time you watch it. I, I don't think it's a tall order to say to somebody, you have to read this poem several times or you have to watch this movie several times to really understand it. Right. You should, if and if you're not desirous of that relationship with something, then I guess don't watch this movie because there are a lot of movies that do unpack themselves very easily. But there's something really rewarding to watching this movie three times because you really feel like, okay, no, I'm starting to, that, I'm starting to understand this. That's such a good way of putting it. Like, it's like, you have to watch this movie three times. Well, fuck it. No, dude, you get to, you know? And like, you will be forever changed and your feelings towards the medium will be forever changed. And to the documentary point, Mike, I do, we could probably do documentaries. It would be fine. Uh, but like, especially some that are much more cinematic in nature. Um, I just think that the storytelling for a documentary is far different than this movie compared to other movies we do. And I don't want to jinx this episode because we have not recorded it yet. But by the end of this episode, we're all going to see how it is exactly the same as every other movie we've ever watched because we're doing the unpacking here, you right. know? And so if you if you have no interest in the movie Mirror, I understand. Uh, delete this episode. We're going to do something like shampoo or something next week. And it's going to be a lot different. But... The great thing about like doing this with you guys is that we get to do the unpacking right now, and yeah. this movie demands it. Yeah, because it's demands a movie that. It. It, well, because it, the movie as it appears on the screen is one thing, but then it de- you know it develops a life inside of you. Like you you live and walk with it. Like I have for the last week, I've watched the movie three times. Right, so like uh, it's been a part of my life for the last week, and I feel like that's the way it wants to be understood, and that's the only way you're going to understand it. So if you don't want to do that then, you know, the exercise is not for you. Like, I don't want to watch horror movies. I don't like them, and so I don't watch it. That's not a judgment on them. It's just they're not for me. I could definitely see this movie not being for people who are like, eh, I just want to unplug. And It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you're not into movies like this, then don't watch it. But if you are... And you, you, you watch it three times and you do unpack it, it's almost like sitting in first class one time and then never sitting in first class again. Like... All other movies are sort of stupid now. But I think that's okay as long as you know that going in. Yeah. Like, it's but just also, like we read The Watchmen and then comics continue were done to for so long. Like, I, I love this movie and I, I, I think that it, it's so impressive, but I don't want i personally don't want every movie to be like this totally. i never want to i never want to not fly first class again unfortunately i probably will instead never fly first class again but <laughs> uh, but i definitely like i would i need movies to be this complex and then i sometimes and then i need them to be like as complex as uh i guess boss baby two boss baby two sometimes and uh the come and see rule of 1985 or 1985 season i think that's going to stick where it is just one spot of the bracket we tried to give to a movie like this. Yeah. And right. Definitely not all eight. Because any year we do could have eight uh, eight mirrors in it. I mean, that's right. that's a little lofty. But, but you then know it's what just I mean. going back and forth. Back that sounds like forth, a fun house. Like, Which one is the real me? My man's. Good, good job, guys. But uh, we're going to try to find one spot for it. But that's, you know, one out of eight is about all we can handle with movies like this. And that's the point of the show, right? Is that we're supposed to take a movie like Jaws and then a movie like Mirror and be like, okay, well, now we have to say which of those two is better. And that's such a stupid idea that it's compelling for a podcast. (laughs) On that, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, actually dig in to Mirror. (laughs) Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. 
So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Andre Tarkovsky started working on the idea for what would become Mirror in 1964. He wrote down his idea for a film about the dreams and memories of a man, though without the man ever appearing on screen. Originally turned down by the Russian Film Commission, Tarkovsky finally was able to make his nonlinear, loosely autobiographical, unconventionally structured poem-incorporated meditation on memory. When it was released, only 73 copies went out into the world, and the film initially polarized critics and audience, many calling it incomprehensible. In the passing decades, it's now thought of as one of the greatest films of all time. Taste Buds, I ask you this. In some ways, you could say this is a very difficult movie. Feels like the viewer needs or could benefit from a fair amount of research. Not just to enjoy the movie, but to fully experience it. How ought we approach a movie like this? Yeah, that's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, something I've been thinking a lot about. Because it feels... You are so tempted, I think, after the first viewing of it to look for something exterior to the text to help you understand it. Um, I I had never even heard like what his, his thoughts on the movie were. Like I had no preamble to this at all. And I would say upon the first viewing, it is almost incomprehensible. I think you get the feelings. I think you, you understand broadly what it's probably about. Uh, and then if you just watch it a couple of times beyond that, I think you'll start to understand a lot. But... There are still things that are huge questions to me mm. that I think it's I am at least tempted to go outside the text to understand them and to hear what either he said about it or what critics have said about it or what Russian history can help mm. us understand or right. I've uh, like if we could take one pull quote from me from this from this show and put it on the cover of the next criterion edition uh just just by me saying uh the mom plays the wife Right yeah. there, like that—that that would just be so helpful right. alone. You yeah, that—that that, that helps a lot. Um, I do, think and that's the kind of thing that when you watch it the second time, you're just like, okay, I think probably what happened was that he used the same actress, right. and then when you hear the line, "Did I ever say you look exactly right. like my that mom?" Helps. You're like, okay, so I'm pretty sure that he's just using the same actress to play both parts, and the movie confirms it. Mm-hmm. So. And what, what, be sure what doesn't happening. help is various characters, even though the same actor is playing different characters, and different characters go by different names. So, yes. <laughs> fuck you. So, Musha and, and... So, that would help in Russia, but I do think... I'm, I'm starting to... I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I think everything you need is in the movie. I think it's fine. Go off if you need, if you need explanation. That's fine. But... For a movie to be like, oh, you need to read this stuff. We talked about this Donnie Darko a few years back. You're like, to actually know what's going on, you need to read other stuff. That means it's a failure. I, I, and I don't I, actually don't care what the creators say things mean. What does the text say it means? I think it's absolutely all there. I think you just have to get through it. The, the way that I thought about this movie that helped me make sense of it is, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a museum and seen an exhibit where um, when, you, when you walk into the room, it is just trash. It's just a bunch of trash. Mm-hmm. But if you stand at one specific, like as you walk, it becomes like a giant skull mm-hmm. or something. Right. You know? And like you have to, it is just all of this stuff thrown at you. And you can't watch the movie. You cannot watch this movie. You have to have watched this movie. That's the only way to right. do it. And so you're, and that's when you're at that point where all the trash becomes the skull. And I think what he is trying to do is 
create what it is like to have a life, which is you you know you're at this point. And it all comes together at once. Mm-hmm. And it isn't chronological when you're on your deathbed or even when you're not. Like, I, the, the whole deathbed aspect is a little much. You know, like, you can you can sit and reflect mm-hmm. in the even when you're not you're dying. No, see, it now but I'm yeah. worried if, if I reflect, that means I'm dying. So I refuse to reflect but, on my life. But at isn't all. there a specific, but isn't there specifically a sickbed quality to the way in which the memories run into each other and the dreams? And if somebody is mentioned, then suddenly, like, a completely different thought starts taking place. I, 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 I don't thought think that the, that's sickbed specific. Was, I think that is, if. Some brains work. That's the way like my this. thinking is when I'm really sick. This, uh, it, and this is my brain all the time. If somebody's like starts telling a story about Greg, in a moment like we all did a crazy night, I'm also now my brain is thinking about ten other stories of times we hung out. Exactly, and my mom might be there, and she wasn't there, but she is part of my memories, you know. And like and she's hotter so when, than she was in real life. Settle down, bud. Uh, but like she wasn't there, and also in my memory, she's a different age than she mm-hmm. would have been at that time. But she wasn't there anyway. So, like, why, you know, uh, fact check this? Because it's just my brain spilling. With that, does Tarkovsky do the impossible? And did he actually figure out how to film dreams? See, like dream sequences, no, I, we I, shit on a lot throughout the Pop Filter podcasts. But this I isn't a dream movie- sequence. This is one whole dream. It, it, but it's not though. Like the the when people when people talk about dreams with this movie, I think that's a misnomer. Like I think that memories can have a dreamlike quality, and that's what he's doing. But Ryan. the whole idea of like all of the uh, the typical elements that we get when we uh, go into a dream sequence, such as diddle do diddle do, like he avoids those. There's very few things that do challenge. There's how reality works the ghost lady hanging out with i think it's ignat because the actor who plays his son the 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 narrator's son ignat also plays young narrator uh that's the main character's son and that's the main character's son and he's he's hanging out with a a lady and then the door knocks he goes to it and then he turns back and she is gone and and the the lady who comes to the door is the is the mom is the grandma right like and then she's like oh i thought somebody else was gonna live here and then she goes away and it's like and then he later says she was supposed to come by at five. Yeah. Right. Like, so I, I do. Well, yeah, he says uh, somebody will come over and the kid says, oh, I don't know who that is, but some strange lady came over. Yeah. Could they be the same one, kid? With with that, and, and you both have watched this movie numerous times, uh, is it actually random enough? That should it, if, if, it, if it's meditation on memory and, and how the brain kind of crumbles and works and nothing's linear, is it, once you wrap I mean, your head around it... It's part of you like, you could have gotten more, Tarkovsky. Yeah, I mean, this is a fine line that you're talking about, you know, and I don't want to, like, I don't know if it's our job to say more or less to the to the director, but I think that it is, I think that it is perfect because it does push that, and once you do get it, it's like, what it does is it allows you to get to a point where it does all sink in perfectly, mm-hmm. and I think any more would have been, all right, you're doing this on purpose to be like obviously abstract and See, obviously confusing. Right. I don't think it does sink in perfectly, which is ironically like the perfect amount. <laughs> I do think there's still. I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can watch this movie to the point where you have no questions. No. About it, I, there. I think there's just ultimately there's things that are not explained within the movie because sometimes life has parts that are just not explained. And it's his memories, right. you know. Like if you watched mine, if you watched my mirror then a lot of it you would relate to and a lot of it you would have questions about. There'd be about. so many ska shows. I would relate to that. And it, but and it's not all just his memories, right? Like because 
some of some of the things he wasn't present right like for, like, right? like it, that it, ghost lady scene he calls on the phone around then but then he's not there so it is like daydreams or assuming or and there's the whole thing where she goes back to where she works at the printing press yeah i mean like, i would say the most classic drama scene mm-hmm. you know like what we think of is like in a drama is his mom greg sorry go ahead <laughs> but uh, it is first of all it's rendered in black and white anything rendered in black and white in this movie is is perhaps a dream memory or a vision uh so but she go like she suddenly we just suddenly see her and she's running down the street she's right. running to uh the place where she works which is like a printing press and uh, it de- what develops your understanding of it develops is that she thinks that there is some typo right where, with some most likely obscene word has made it into the thing that's been printing for a day. So the problem is like, as somebody at the printing press says, this is, if this was a problem, it happened already. Right. Like it's done. Uh, and then, uh, at the end of that scene, she's like, like uh, talking to her friend who, uh, has just recently passed in like the, our understanding of the movie. We've just heard this person died right. and now it's a memory of her present, which yes. means, which means it's going to be a nice, pleasant memory. Like and we have, t- we have been taught that if she just died, we are uh, going to automatically see her be awesome. And so she runs to the printing press. Her friend is helping her. She get like they get it all figured out, and then suddenly her friend like just starts berating her and saying like you're this stupid character from a book. And she's like, I don't know what you mean. And then starts yelling at her. She runs away, and then the friend chases her. So but, like that's not a memory that the boy was there for. Is it something she? Told him, yeah. That's like that's exactly how it works. Is that because uh, the guy, the main character, is on the phone with his mom, and she's the mom's like Liza died, and he's like who? And then she explains, and he's like, oh yeah. And when somebody is that like, you know, on that level of your life, then what happened is that the mom had said two famous stories about Liza, right. and the kid just blended them together. Uh-huh. Like, oh, that was that time where you made the mistake, and then she yelled at you, mm-hmm. and the mom's like, what? No, but they did both happen. But in the kid's mind, and also the kid has an incredible, like, filmic sense of mind, like, uh, of memory. You know, like, he just, and he, man, he composes some great yeah. shots in his He's memory. really Aaron good. Aaron Sorkin-esque hallway walk and talks. The, the, yeah, the way he uh, stages some of these shots of just, like, the mom running down the hall or the mom running and her friend Lisa, like, following after her, like, that... Part of what I think really does get you through this movie, even when you don't understand what's going on, is the language of the film mm-hmm. is like, no, pay attention. Like a master is speaking right now. So maybe, you know, pay attention to what they're doing because it's arresting. Right. Like you really are engrossed even when you don't understand what's going on. That is the perfect time to take a break. And when we come back, it will not be talking about master, but don't worry. We will be talking about Tarkovsky, the master filmmaker later. But before that, we're going to go build a mountain. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore as an idea is in an ode to the four greatest American presidents who helped to make the country what it is today. We don't care about that. What we're doing is an ode to the greatest 1975 scandals that made that year what it was that day. I do want to congratulate all four of those presidents. I just recently heard that none of them were slave owners. So Is that true? Yeah, just came out. Good job for them, I guess. It would be illegal to say otherwise, Mike. Do you we're have a camera sure. here filming me? Because if you do, then I, they were not slave owners. We're not sure if these scandals will be slave owners. Maybe that is one of the scandals. Greg, your first submission. So scandals, this is always a tough one because what you hope for is like fun scandals. And then a lot of times what you get is like poison grain supplies. Babies choking Ten on things. Murdered. Yeah. Uh, but 75, you can tell from the movies that probably things aren't going great for the country. 
And damn, just looking through some of the shit that happened in 1975, things were not going well. So the one I'm going to start off with is Patty Hearst, because my entire life I, I've heard the story about Patty Hearst. Uh, she gets captured by uh, like an extreme uh, leftist group, and um, basically she's kidnapped and she's held for a very long time. And then eventually starts identifying with the group, uh, Stockholm Syndrome, and then starts, like, uh, robbing banks with them. And, and in a really adorable outfit and hat. <laughs> yeah, and going by <laughs> Tanya now. Um, so uh, this story, I wanted to read deeper, but I did not have time because there's a lot that's very upsetting about it. Plus, it's fucking Mirror Week, dude. Yeah. You don't have time for that shit. I literally didn't because I was like, oh, God, I got to start my third watch like in the next couple minutes. Um, But it is a bonkers story. She definitely seems like the whole thing that centered around was whether or not she was the victim of something or whether or not she was complacent or compliant in this. It doesn't really matter to me. Like if you get kidnapped and held for a long time, if you to accommodate that, you start committing crimes and being weird i think we know enough about victimhood now to be like that doesn't mean you're not a a victim of something that was really terrible that happened um and it like they demanded a lot of money for her release uh her she's you know she's a hearst uh the family like put together millions of dollars and gave them to like the bay area for food for people it's just something that the gettys did not do right no yeah the gettys hired someone to go over it and find their boy. Man, being rich is fucking hard. Uh, that's the that's the part about the story though that's crazy is that I she she should not be charged with anything. You know, like who knows the amount of trauma that she'd experienced um, if she used it as a ploy to just like get her rocks off and rob banks and have fun. I don't care. You know, like, but it's because of that last name. Like, there's this is an extreme situation, but there are plenty of people in plenty of similar enough situations who don't have that last name who are put in prison forever. Right. But I would like to read a book about this, except for the the fact, the fact of the matter is from what little I saw about it, I think it's extremely hard to be objective about it at all. And either you are blaming the victim of something horrific or you're being taken in by bad actors or something like that. So it's not, it's hard to say what would be a definitive history of this. I love that outlook on life of, I'm so nervous about being taken in that I'm going to just shit on everyone. Dude, I'm watching Harry Carey with my parents right now. And that's the exact story. Like (laughs) what if somebody comes by and demands money? We'll make him kill himself. (laughs) It's, uh, because you got taken by a leftist group. It's why I won't listen to Chapa Trap House. I'm just so afraid of that. Mm -hmm. happening to me. Greg, Greg, you get, Patty right on that map. We don't have the leftists that the seventies did. I think that no. the I think we like to pretend that we do sometimes. But dang, y'all, like these people were serious, and this this is a horrifying story. <laughs> Scandals. <laughs> Give me another horrifying story. Oh, I, I have something even funnier than this. Uh, what we <laughs> mostly know about Gerald Ford is that he fell down a lot because all the time because of Chevy Chase SNL. Say stage, no right? more. Right to the top of the mountain. <laughs> Oh, but he's falling back down. Oh no! <laughs> but if I if I <laughs> <laughs> he came rolling right back down, Sisyphus, get him up there. If I was like, uh, man, Gerald Ford uh, was a big believer in this policy, what would you guys say? Like, does anybody know? Like what his deal was? Yeah. What's his whole? Deal? No, I have no <laughs> idea. Ryan. Lines. But here's how he's even more famous than uh, falling down a lot. Oh, pardoning Nixon was that his big? <laughs> Oh yeah, that's what he ran. He, he on. just did it every other week. <laughs> he was not a crook. Uh, is two 
different tiny white women within the span of 17 days attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford. One of them was Squeaky From, a Manson girl. The other one I didn't write down because she's not a Manson girl. But that is quite the legacy, Gerald Ford. Obviously, uh, the Rushmore is not for the heads of presidents. I do not want Gerald Ford up there. But I think that these two... Girls, the first two face of Squeaky and other. The yeah. first one, it was because she ha- didn't have the round chambered. The second one is because she didn't know the sights were off by a very little bit. Like he you gotta check he your sights, guys. These were final s- destination should have came and got that. <laughs> These guy. were seventeen days apart in September. In between those two times, Patty Hearst was apprehended. That Whoa, September seventy five was crazy. Was crazy. Three weeks of just absolute bonkers news stories. Can we get a I didn't start the fire about those three <laughs> September weeks? September nineteen seventy five. do why why did they? Did they say why they wanted to kill him? Uh they're both they're both politically motivated. Leftist, dude. It's these fucking leftists. It was definitely it's, I mean squeaky if she she's part of the man was she trying to start that race war? Or end it. Probably. It's uh, the also crazy thing to realize is at a time where your plan to assassinate the president could be take a pistol to where he's going to be walking down the street and then walk up to him. Yeah. Similar like, times. Yeah. <laughs> but so many presidents had been assassinated and political figures and... Not enough. So how in 1975 were they still like, uh, just let him walk? But you can see why there's this big draconian crackdown. Yeah. Because right. they, are start- they started to get so freaked out because it's like, it could be us. It could be the people that matter could get shot while they're trying to be the president. Where, like, you see uh, Obama go to Marin's garage, and Uh it's it's two days of, like, setting shit up. Yeah. Right. Because a goddamn squeaky throne. He looks like a leftist. So you got to watch out. The only person they should be nervous about is Mark Marin. Or Boomer. That's his cat. All right. Squeaky from the Ford assassination is right on that mountain. Greg. All right, so this did not happen in this year, but it was definitely getting wrapped up in this year. All the Watergate guys are getting... A lot of the shit came down on January 1st, January 1975. 1st. So it's in yeah. there. Uh, but like they got found guilty, and then they were sentenced later uh, in mm-hmm. 1975. And what you have to remember is that um, even though the break-in took place in 72, a lot of the fallout was just occurring in 74. I mean, I think 74 is when Nixon actually resigned, going out right. telling his staff, like, never be ashamed of the good work we've done here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well on their way to a plan. Right, well on their way to a plan of uh, infiltrating and obliterating the leftists, as we've been talking about. It's just such a. Even if like January first, nineteen seventy five, doesn't count, really, you know, because like it's just like it's such. It's so fucking apparent in every All goddamn movie that we yeah. watch, you know, like how heartbroken we were as a country, naively, right. but how heartbroken we were, and like the uh, it's like Eichmann and Halderman. There's a third one that goes to prison, right? Oh uh-huh, yeah, and they were. Were they polit- What was their job? I think they were like um, AIDS, AIDS right? and stuff like that. Yeah, but Republican, right? Yeah, and Republicans back then were like, no, they well, got to go to jail. They didn't know. Yeah. I mean, if they had the playbook that we have now, it would be just never resign, yeah. no matter what. Keep no. forcing them to pursue you and keep being like, this is such a political hit job. I can't believe this is happening. You're assassinating my character. Yeah, we. I mean, we've had Saturday Night Massacres throughout Trump's career, and everybody went, yeah. Duh, you should fire everybody who disagrees with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But because of January 1st and President, I got screamed at a few seasons back for doing something similar. Right now it's on that maybe pile. Let's see if we can beat it.
Ryan. Yeah, find something bigger than Watergate, Ryan. <laughs> this seems unfair. Um, I am going to go with your favorite toy company and mine, Mattel. Um, now, this is not... They didn't make toys that choked babies. They didn't make toys that killed babies. Or they didn't make toys that created babies. Those would be awesome toys. But what they did was they just said, we are doing great. We're, as, a country, as a company, we are doing so good and everyone should love us. And that wasn't true at all. And <laughs> they were lying. They were hemorrhaging money. They were about to go out of business. But it's all that none of that matters as long as your stock owners don't know that. And right. so this was like the first time where should there be like checks and balances in what they say to us? Because people don't look at the books. They just listen right. to what they're told. Uh, the books suck. Another great quarter for the toy maker. Uh, and I just love how it's one. Uh, you know, we we accept in seventy five. We just accept what we're in seventy four. We accept what the establishment tells us to be true, mm-hmm. and it's not. And then also, it's a toy company, guys. You make stuff for children, and you're fucking lying too. Come on, Mattel, get your head out of your ass. Now, keep in mind, I think this was before they realized that you could just make a cartoon that was like a 30-minute right. commercial for all your products. Then they, they started the doing well. To U.S. history. All right, let's speed round this. Who else should go up on that mountain, Greg? Uh, in 75, in, in uh, response to energy problems, they moved daylight savings up. What the hell? If you can do that, just cancel it then, right? It's just yeah. California recently voted to just we want the understanding of daylight savings, which we made up just a little bit ago. And it's we, not a bank. We want that permanently. We want that forever. Yes. Want that forever. Daylight Save savings. Daylight. Ryan? Uh nineteen seventy five, movie of the year, the podcast, not around. Scandalous? I think so. How about Bobby Fisher refused to play? Oh, I did see that one. How about that one, Ryan? Bobby didn't That's play. crazy because uh he let a Russian win. Ew. Last time we'd ever do that in this country. Mir is Russian. Oh, wait, except for Trump. Your 1975 Mount Rushmore of Scandals is the kidnapping and brainwashing and the story of Patty Hearst. The Ford assassination. And Patty in the hat will be there. The Ford assassinations twice in one week will be the two face uh, near assassination. Near assassination. <laughs> two assassinations. <laughs> Double assassination. That's some well, they cancel each other out. <laughs> Squeaky and other. You will get Mattel's cooked books. So I guess it's just going to be Barbie looking really evil and daylight savings, which is going to be an angry farmer <laughs> or a son with no sunglasses. Oh, not no chill, sunglasses. Son, not chill. Oh no. No, those are the scandals of 1975. We've learned so much more about this year. When we come back, digging in to Tarkovsky, the master. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie. Everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year. 
where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye. Taste buds. New York Times critic Lawrence Van Gelder once wrote that, quote, Mr. Tarkovsky appears so absorbed in grappling with his own demons that universality suffers. End quote. Is this dork right? Well, one thing I was surprised about, uh, you said loosely autobiographical, and I realized at some point I had decided yeah. that this movie was entirely biographical. <laughs> and I realized, right. I, I realized I had made that like decision on my own. Right. While I was watching it the third time. Well, there, there's a lot of stuff about how he recreated all of this shit from his childhood. Uh-huh. And family came in and they saw it and they were like, I cannot believe how much this is. Just throw the term loosely. <laughs> right. You know, always. And that way you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but, uh, and then the family watched the movie and they were so upset that it wasn't their exact same memories. Uh-huh. And oh. part of it's like, well, if you watch the movie, the point is... Right. That, you, you don't know, really have exact it, memories. Yeah, it's just uh, this guy maybe watch that, it, Mom. Yeah. Memories and experience, okay? You rewrite it every time you access it. But I love that, I love that whole thing of just screaming at your very famous genius director uh, family member. You fucking idiot! Well, that's what every memoirist goes through. Is people are like, that's not how I remember it. It's like we're all digging into a thing that happened 30 years ago, so maybe chill (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean like uh, autobiography should come with loosely all like biography means i did the research and this is what i think from like a sort of journalistic right standpoint that like this is what i think went down if it's an autobiography it's gonna be loose as fuck yeah and i i don't think that this like okay he is very much at the center of it obviously uh but I don't think that actually hurts the universality because the more he looks inward, the more he actively like and accurately portrays his own experience, the more he is showing the experience of at least one person in this crazy world. And in that way, I think he really does unlock like, don't we all have fucking huge dad issues? I think this is one of the right. dumbest things that any critic has ever said. Yeah, That's it's just like, stupid. Right. Do, it, it's, it's do you relate more to like nerd. Luke Skywalker fighting Darth Vader? Like, of course, everyone has their own individual shit, but in there, yeah, is the dad issues, well, and we've all been poor, and like this, fuck this guy. Yeah, a, a broad paintbrush, like the, the 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 more general you are, the worse it's going to be. The, the, the there's a the saying that specific is universal because yeah. even if I didn't go through this same thing, my mom didn't work at a printing press. It'll if this is what you're going to do for this movie, which is not why I go to movies of like I I see that in my life. But if you are, I guess that's fine. I'm trying to be less judgmental. If you're trying to be like, what can I relate to here? You're gonna be like, oh, I remember a story my mom told me, and I blended those stories, and that's and like, okay. Fuck this no, guy. Just the just the blending of the stories, even though that never ha- no neither of those stories happened to me. The idea of blending stories because that's how memory works is universally relatable, right? And. Like it's just so crazy to me because the the basis of the entire story is the basis of everybody's entire existence, which is that they are at the center of it. Mm-hmm. And so, even unless you are like a very enlightened person, even though you you may know that you are not at the center of existence, you still experience right. existence at the center of it, and that's your only way to really understand it. And so, by I think really like sinking into that. It's the way it is to live. It's the experience of actually going through this world is centered just on us, for better or worse. Let's play a game. The studio that made this movie, I believe it's called Russia, uh, had more letters written to them about this movie than any other movie in its history. 
that all 99% of all of the letters could be classified into two types of letters. Can you guys name them? I love this. I hated this. <laughs> Guess that's right. Mike, <laughs> that's the give yourself a point. Uh, the one letter was Mike. I didn't understand this. Fuck you. Like, I'm fucking angry at you for making something that I didn't understand. It really pisses me off. And then, excuse me, the vast majority of them were, I cannot believe how you captured my childhood. Mm. These are not people who were born the year that Tchaikovsky was born. They were born, you know, uh, way later, way earlier, like not having wars surround all of their impact points in their life. They just said, you fucking nailed it. And like, there's parts in this movie. uh, And I'll shout out the ending the scene that I've watched far more than any other scene in this movie of just the old lady and the two kids walking through like that. I can, yeah. I, my life doesn't resemble fucking Tarkovsky's in <laughs> any way possible guys. Uh, but that hurts like late summer nights of being a kid. And like, you feel like you have responsibilities the next day, but you don't, you know, like it's almost bath time. Like you can smell that right. scene. Right. You can smell the outdoors and childhood in that scene. Fuck this New York Times critic. And if it's so specific to Tarkovsky, why is it exactly like Roma? I mean, it's like such a similar <laughs> movie and such a right. similar feel to Roma, which is dislocated, you know, uh, uh, by like 10 years in a, in a world away. Pivoting and focusing more on Tarkovsky, he is, throughout the film, one could say, all caps, doing things with the camera. Mm-hmm. Is that over the top or does it sink? Uh, does it sink into our understanding of the world he's creating? Does it take you out of the movie or suck you in? There's an early shot that I think sort of makes the the movie announces itself. The 360 degree spin around the mom, I feel like, is a real like this is what this type of movie is going to be like. And at first, I felt like that's a lot. It's a lot to spin the camera all the way around a character right. like that. But then I realized he did he did it in some other scenes as well. And it really does create a three-dimensional space by showing you that all dimension, all those dimensions exist. Mm. There's a couple times where he takes the camera and just pivoting it 90 or 180 degrees reminds you that you are situated not on a soundstage, but you are situated like in a real life. And that hits the, I'm showing you this person's memory through most of it. Don't forget that there's a whole bunch of other world that this guy's not seeing throughout Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's such a good point. Is that uh, what he decides to put in the frame? You know, like everything that he doesn't put in the frame is as you know conversational as what he puts in there. You know, like that's what what he's doing. Also, there's a thing in sports, Greg, uh, where it's like, who do you pass the ball to with three seconds left, or who do you want up? You know, two outs in the ninth inning. If we were doing like, who do you want to? uh, You're making a movie. Who do you want to move the camera? Uh It's fucking Tarkovsky. You know, the way that he moves and. It's because I think there's this thing that he does, and it didn't click until I watched Mir, but I think you can do it with all of his movies, where he, I think he's the first filmmaker who appreciates fine art, but isn't intimidated by it, and knows that he's a lower form of that. He thinks that he's there, and he's right. If you are a Patreon, he is the Muhammad Ali of <laughs> filmmakers, and you can see, not only do we see like a ton of people flipping through art books just because of how important art is in his memories, but the guy, nobody shoots like a tableau better than this guy and have it not be weird or out of sync with the movie. When that camera moves through the house and hits on that burning barn, yes, it's, it's so... It's as thrilling as anything in you know Jaws right. or like any sort of 
uh, blockbuster action movie. And but like it should feel forced. They're just standing there. He, he's basically shooting a painting. That's why I think it's amazing that we got to do Barry Lyndon mm-hmm. and yeah. Mir in the same season. Like these movies back to back or however we watch them. Like these guys are not intimidated by fine art because they're making it. Okay, also, you, what I, I was going to ask that question is, is do you think Kubrick has the same attitude as Tarkovsky of like, we could do this too. And the second, just for clarification for the listeners, not for me, what do you mean by shooting a tableau? Just like uh, you move, like you set up uh, all these people in a very specific way. Oh, okay. And they're like creating a picture and then you land on it. When he's standing on that hill and there's all those skaters in the background or all those people like playing in the snow in the background or the, my, my favorite shot of the entire movie, because what he's really good at, I think is he, he takes the cinematic and he breaks it away from the drama of life so that he presents them separately. Right. So the fire... And it's not Brechtian, but it's, it's it's this own thing of like, I want you to forget you're watching a movie, but I never want you to forget you're watching a movie. Yeah, because like the, like the, the, the burning barn is so cinematic, but it's not really attached to the drama of anything else going on at that time. It's, it's completely dislocated from that. It doesn't like underscore also an extremely dramatic moment in the action of this family. Right. But it obviously made a big impression on him, and why wouldn't it? it it's even the even the viewer who was watching a movie at the moment still enjoys watching that burning barn. Hey, we the like other watching one, things though, burn. The another very cinematic and yet also quiet moment is when the very end when um he's in like the neighbor's house and the mom and the neighbor are like obviously negotiating about the price of the earrings or something. Right. The way the inside of that like cottage is shot, that's a painting. That is every bit that like something from Barry Lyndon, and yet it is not overly cinematic. It's not this shot of a castle. Mm-hmm. It's the shot of the inside of a rather modest Smallish home, house, yeah. but it's it is elevated to that. But the re- by being shot so well, the reason I think that Mirror surpasses Barry Lyndon is because uh, Kubrick would have his actors pause. Like he loved the fact that you were watching a painting, literal painting on, or not literal, but you know, like. It's it's that this frame we're just gonna freeze right. on, and right. the actors would seriously not move for a second or two. Right. But with things like the burning barn, you can see Tarkovsky saying, "No, I'm better than paintings because <laughs> although the humans are standing there, you like you get to watch the fire move, you get to watch the water drip, all the things that we can't control. That's what is beautiful yeah, in a he's painting. Not trying they to would be standing just still. recreate a painting. He's trying to elevate. Like yeah, remember we're and moving I think pictures. He does. That is all the time we have, though. I think the whole show could have been about Tarkovsky as a director. But that's not what we've created. We're going to take a break. We're going on. All right, sweetheart. All right. Danny will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. I'm going to pop some tags. Only got $20 in my pocket. Hey, Spuds, we've had a lot of serious talk about Mira and Tarkovsky, so we're going to stop that shit right now, run through the film, and go on a little shopping spree. Woo! I got a. You're the host of the 1975 season and doing a wonderful job, might I say. But there's so many movies we could have shopped through. Did you. Was this random or did you purposefully force us to shop through Mirror? Hey, I like shopping sprees. Look, it'd be easy to shopping spree through uh, a Rain Man where you're like, oh, there's all these cars. But Mm -hmm. I like the ones that it's like Magnolia. It's just kind of shitty LA. What are we going to get out of this? Rain Man, we each walked with three exotic cars, which was <laughs> exciting in one way, but it made for an odd segment. But I put one car on each difficult. foot and walked I had, around. I had triples of the Nova. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know what that means. So yeah, I, I liked the uh, let's try, let's break it down a little. It'd be so easy to shop in another movie. Let's make shampoo. it difficult. Yeah, you get all the shampoo your pretty little. Yeah, we each can walk with three designer shampoos. <laughs> <laughs> They're shampooing them now. I think conditioner is better, but I don't want to get into that with you guys right now. That hey, is... I'm a conditioner guy. I use it on my beard every single day. That's for 1996, I think. No, Five. 1975. Greg, explain how this game works. All right, Mike. Uh, well, it's shopping spree, so we're just going to run on through and get our grubby little hands on everything. Would you like me to go first, Mike? Uh, is it serpentine? Is it, is it, is it, what are, how Yeah, it, it goes me, Ryan, Ryan, me. Unless no, you me? want, are you, do you want in on it, big dog? Okay, me, Ryan, you, you, Ryan, me. All right. Just like the director draft. No, that's different. No, that's doesn't not, matter. It's a different order. Edit this out. Let's go. Is this how you're going to argue that it needs to be the same every time? Because I say nay. Greg, take it away. Well, it's the reason for the season, everybody. The movie's called Mirror, and it features one obviously incredibly engrossing mirror. The mirror that the boy plays with right near the end of the movie. Magically transfixing, would you say? Yeah, I would say definitely. Uh, and it um, he goes and then he hides it in a book. I hope that nobody accidentally stumbles upon that later. But when he's looking at it, it to me, it looked just like an iPad. For a second, I thought he was just sitting there on the floor watching YouTube on his iPad. But it's clearly a very cool mirror. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would like it. I'm going to grab so that. so cool, it takes you to YouTube. It allows it's you to mirror. reflect. Yeah, for sure. You're going to bounce some light off it right. onto the ceiling. Classic little kid poor game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you have a laser. I... I'm going to what, what what entranced me as a child and still entrances me is uh, the, the giant reams of paper. I want that printing press. Maybe knew, not the whole factory, but I want one one of the printing presses in it. I knew it was going to go in the draft, or I'm sorry, the shopping spree, and it's because it's so big. And th- <laughs> the three of us can't deny fucking big shit, like big machinery stuff that's like moving around or making noise. Dang, we love that. And, no, I'm used to small pieces of paper. This paper's bigger than me. This is crazy. I want to see what goes on. Oh, man. The paper fight that we're going to have in your factory, it's going to be brutal. Hell yeah. The loser gets thrown onto the press to see what happens. I want to live with Mike when he has this printing press. And then just every day, there's going to be like a new edition of the Mike Gazette. And it's all just going to be his gripes with people. <laughs> Dishes yeah. left in sink for second day. Extra, extra. It's all letters to the editor. <laughs> Ryan. Dear editor, you fine as shit. <laughs> you are up next because I forgot the order, so now there's a new order. Yes. Uh, I am going to take uh, Floaty Bed, the bed that makes you float. Um, t- for too long, I have been chained down to sleeping directly on my mattress, and I would like to hover above it. It makes you sore and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what doesn't? Air. Air never makes me sore. If I just could roll around floating then I'm probably not going to have like this bursitis in my hip anymore. And for your dad to come get you and be like, hey, come check this out, mom's floating. <laughs> also, if at any point I needed to be the uh, gatekeeper or the key master uh, in order to defeat Gozer uh, and save New York City, I think that a floaty bed is really important for that. Uh, based on that last argument alone, Ryan wins the first Ryan. round of shopping spray. Ryan, you are up next. Uh, there's a lot of fucking newsreel footage, and it takes a while to get used to, because just when you think you're getting into a scene, then we have to deal with newsreel footage, which doesn't even have an Alexi or an Ignat in it. 
but in one of the newsreels, and I know it was bored, it was hard, but <laughs> we know that no letters. So uh, yeah, like we're all that's already been established. But there's like three seconds of newsreel footage where a fucking tank turns a corner at full speed <laughs> and almost does a donut, and I did not know tanks could go fast, so I would like fast tank. Yeah. Like move fast over tank. fast and furious because this thing is drifting through the intersection. Um, it's really got moves. Unfortunately, there's like a lot of music and dialogue, but so you can't hear Boo. that. But you know that shit burned out. All right, that's not a bad one. I want ghost friend, the friend who is a ghost. <laughs> sometimes you want to hang out, sometimes you don't. Ghost friend will just pop in and out whenever she feels like it. Which one is ghost friend? Is this the the old lady at the table? The old, the old table lady. Ignat's who? ghost friend, who he she, thinks he's like hanging out with, and then she disappears, and he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that weird lady that also like when he's on his deathbed." later is talking to the doctor but she yeah. leaves wet butt right yeah Go, like ghost it, friend leaves wet butt yeah well <laughs> okay here's the thing she doesn't use a coaster which oh that wasn't her butt that was yeah her cup. Okay. you gotta sit under there oh and then the, yeah that's the, coaster. after he leaves the like the crazy orchestral like intensification as the the condensation goes off the table <laughs> yes so that's why i'm taking ghost friend ghost friend i'm gonna ask her to use a coaster for her butt. Greg or her butt. Uh, this movie is very interesting because uh, there's so much done with the camera and a helicopter plays a major part in it. But he was like, I'm not going to shoot anything from that helicopter because that's no one has ever seen the world from that view. And so I refuse <laughs> to do it. But he used the helicopter to just make some wind, some very poignant wind. So uh, that wasn't just prayer. Nope, that was uh, a helicopter. That kind of like he had it like kind of like come down, not quite getting the shot, and then pull away. So it would just create a big gust, a very like localized gust. Did you guys think that doctor was a mutant? <laughs> yes. I guess I thought that was like the the literalization of their vibe. Uh, that yeah. like he he first walks up and you're like, oh, here we go, some bullshit. This guy's gonna be such a dork, and he is such a dork. But then you realize like she doesn't actually get to talk to anybody like who's an adult that much. And when he leaves, she's like. You can tell she almost like reaches out to grab him, like, "Oh God, wait, don't go!" He's like, "You're bleeding," uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll see you later." And but then he feels it, like he realizes, like, "Oh man, I'm leaving like an energy that we had." And a huge gust of wind comes, and he turns around, and then the same gust of wind comes from her, and then he's like, "Am I gonna? Should I stay?" And then there's another big gust of wind, and he's like, "Well, it feels like destiny's kind of passing us by here, but I'm gonna head on out." It's I like want them. It's like when you flirt with a musician, and then as he's walking away, he turns around and like plays a little lick yeah, on the guitar. Bleep! And you're like, what? And he's like, put it right there, too. And you're like, uh, I don't know. And then your sax is like, brah, 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 brah. that's uh, basically mirror. That's basically what happens in this scene in the mirror. And I so want. What are you getting? I'm getting. <laughs> what I want is the wind from the helicopter. Just the wind. I want a very. But yeah, but like one that, like, after I vibed with somebody or made a really good point, I want this huge gust of wind to come and everyone to be like, oh, wow. You know what fucking sucks about this, Mike, is after Greg gets this, because that's how shopping spree works, he will be awarded this after this segment. Um, <laughs> when you're talking to him and he walks away and he turns around and looks at you and there's just no wind. Yeah. And you're like, I didn't know the vibe was that bad. <laughs> oh, I not, thought we were vibing. We were not even like a breeze. Yeah. He was fake. Not it. even a gentle zephyr. Nothing. Okay. Wow. So in the second round of shopping spree, Ryan got fast tank. Mike got <laughs> ghost friend, oh. and Greg gets 
Poignant wind. Poignant wind. I gotta go with poignant wind. What the over fast tank? Take that fast tank. What can you do against the wind? Uh, Fast tank your (laughs) seatbelts. I got a fast tank. Right. Okay. Final round, Greg. You're starting us off. Uh. Okay. You know I'm a I'm a prankster. I love pranks. Uh, I should. I didn't do this. I, I wake done it. up early in the morning with pranks on the brain, and I go to bed with a long list of successful pranks. <laughs> but the thing I notice about your pranks, Greg, is that you just you really want to hit the doctor demographic and make them laugh their asses <laughs> off. What I w- how I'd like to prank f- in the future is dummy grenade. Oh, oh <laughs> shit! No. Dummy grenade, right? Uh, it's always good for a prank to prove to somebody that they're a hero, but also make yeah. them think you were going to die. You thought the whole front of you was going to be obliterated. Nah, it's a dummy grenade. Uh, they're like at the shooting range and the kids obviously hate this guy because he's their boss and because he's got a girlfriend that they kind of have a crush on. Tarkovsky, a big fan of uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, by the way. Oh, is that true? Like make this motherfucker pay. Yeah. So uh, they have a dummy grenade and then... They do a weird thing where a kid rolls down some stairs and someone's like, don't do it. And then he just chucks the grenade and the guy's like, everybody get down. Kids, get down. And he throws himself on it like a true hero. And then you sit there and you're pretty sure that he's not going to die because they just said it was a dummy grenade. But you still go through like the five seconds really slowly. I want that. That just that would be so funny if in the middle of like this podcast, I just like chucked a grenade at Ryan. Yeah, I mean, uh, I loved this prank in Captain America: The First Avenger. Liked it here. Did not like it when Bear Margera did it to his parents. I thought that was a cruel version <laughs> of the <laughs> dummy grenade prank. All day, I'm gonna be throwing grenades at my folks. <laughs> Do you know what's a good prank, prank grenade though? Prank grenade? A prank prank grenade? Yeah, just fucking. At some point, just fill that puppy up with whatever grenades are full of. That's a hilarious explosion. Prank. I thought you were talking about something different, Greg, which I will draft with my next pick. Ah, uh, maybe I'll get it first. I like pranks. Everybody knows that (laughs) about me. I'm just trying to make Ryan rattle because that's what made him think he was. uh, I I like boldness. I like ballsiness. I love people thinking I'm into smarter movies than I am. I'm getting that Andre Rublev poster. It's going right on my living room wall. I saw something that said that this was the third in in an Andre Rublev trilogy. Mm-hmm. Because in a movie before this, there was an Andre Rublev reference, and then the first of the trilogy was the movie Andre he Rublev. Made the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that a trilogy, but different times. Ryan, what are you getting? Oh, I'm getting the prank and fence. I I'm just sitting here, and you you want to come up, saddle up next to me because I'm a fucking good looking person about town, and you're like, well, hello there. I noticed that you're not wearing a ring, and then you're gonna sit down on my prank and fence. I I'm not gonna fall like. Alexi's mom did. I'm going to get off before that. Uh-huh. But your ass is going to the ground because it's prank and fence time. You, I got to say, it's a you, prank and fence, not that this asshole broke her fence. I think it's I think it's a prank and fence in mirror. We usually don't get gross on this show. We save that for off air, but I'm going to get a little gross here. If you just cut through a random field for a woman on a fence... She's an absolute 10 plus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're just <laughs> randomly walking through a field... In Russia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so final round. Ryan gets pranking fence. I get the Andre Rublev poster, and Greg gets a dummy grenade. I'm not awarding that. That one terrifies me. I win for Andre Rublev the poster. <laughs> that has been your mirror shopping spree. Let's always do obscure Russian film shopping sprees from here on out. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more talk about mirror. 
Hola, Filterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Facebook. Tarkovsky is obviously a master. But what other artists deserve credit for their role in creating this film? Composer, art director, cinematographer. Right. Did you say cinematographer? <laughs> and did. did you do it on purpose? Because that's very funny. Who knows? I think that's something we should do on this show. And, but and <laughs> this would be the last time we ever. Yeah, we it. can never speak but of it again. We always just say cinematographer. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's kind of a crazy question, based on how all other movies of the year have worked. Because in our like attempts to like be so auteur and director focused, and we're like we're we're not even there. Like we're trying to get good. We never talk about these other people. No, it's uh, I recently watched a little art film called Marvel's Black Widow, mm-hmm. and I sat through the credits as you do. And a million people, I believe it was a million people, wanted to make wow. that movie. And then I went, More oh, than not, literally, no movie. Autor theory is stupid. Yeah, it, 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 I do have no say, one person who makes a thing. What just it's like behind the scenes thing here. One thing I definitely struggle with is uh, like the relationship between the director and the cinematographer. Um, like because like I described that 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 shot around the the mom right or any right. of these other shots, am I saying am I rendering unto to Tartowski what's his versus what like well render unto Tarkovsky what is Tarkovsky's? <laughs> I uh, I heard a story from the uh, DVD extra features that was the dark web Ryan absolutely amazing. <laughs> I went to thedarkweb.com <laughs> and I heard a little story where I. Uh, they, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was very famous, and he was uh, worked on all the other Tarkovsky movies as well. Uh, and so, like, this was a fucking dream team, right? Mm-hmm. And this was their last movie together because they fought so much. And one of the reasons they fought, okay, this is a, a lady told the story, and I don't know how much validity you want to put into it, but um, they, first of all, they both thought they were shooting movies about their own childhood, which I think speaks to the power of the movie, and that's why and narcissism. It, <laughs> This movie's about me, right? But also, there's one scene in this movie, according to the lady telling the story, that is fucking terrible. There's only one scene, which I disagree. I think that if you're on your deathbed and we don't see your face, but you have a bird in your hand and then you let it go, that's I think that's stupid. But that was that felt art school as shit. Yeah, according to her, it was the scene with the Spaniard going over the uh, uh, bull fighting, right? Telling the story right, of the bull right. fighting, mm-hmm. and the cinematographer thought it was terrible. And therefore, shot it thusly. Like right. he, his disdain towards this scene, she believes you, he put into shooting this, and therefore the viewer feels it as well, and it stands out among all the other scenes in the movie. It that it does stand out, and like you would like to think, like art supersedes emotions but we've known some cinematographers in our life, and I've watched them be angry at actors. So they use the take where they put the camera lower. 
on purpose. Show <laughs> <laughs> me that double chin, baby. <laughs> so yeah, I I totally buy that they are the pettiest of people working on a movie. But I love that. Like you're so liberal, let's say that even though you're writing a uh, sci-fi movie, it's gonna come out. You know, just as an example, if you're so hateful of the scene, it doesn't like what like you're such an artist that you will shoot it in this way, even though you're trying to do. He wasn't trying to sabotage it. Right. It just came out. It just came out. I thought you were going to tell the story uh, that there was a his lead cameraman he always used uh, did not do this movie because there was a scene that ended up not being in the movie that he wanted to secretly record his real mom. Yes. Telling stories. And the cameraman was like. No, we're not that's jackassing sa- that old lady. That's the same guy. It is the same guy. Yeah, the same. Like they fought constantly, and that's one of them. Is he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking punk my mom. <laughs> and the guy was like, No, you can't do that. This, bro. and I think we're what we're doing. And I like this question because I think what we're doing on this show is we are falling into this trap. And part of it is because that was very big in '75. It was we need one like master to come and make a movie for us. And in addition to that, that person can act like however, whatever they want. Oh, yeah. That person can just do Carte blanche, baby. anything that they want to in the whole world. And so, like, it is a good idea to step back and be like, he had a lot to do with why this was a good movie. Sure. But there are other people. And what the score is, I think, a perfect example. Because the music at, at times in this movie is doing, like, the absolute most. Like, we talked about the his ghost friend. The, yeah. The ghost friend scene is from a different movie and it's because of the music and like he does that thing this is gonna sound like a knock but it's not but does that thing where like he puts his arm on all of the keys on the keyboard (laughs) and it is fucking scary it's intense yeah it's so scary (laughs) movies that don't have ghosts then suddenly do i love there's uh now and then the with like christina ricci that suddenly there's just a ghost shadow in it and then uh the dangerous lives of altar boys the younger culkins are in it and there's Uh, just a ghost that shows up movies that do that they're like we're a real movie and everyone's like that that'll get me every time man three men and a baby i love it is the baby a ghost no the ghost of ted danzen is in the window at some point (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i think that the composer said that he had composed 10 minutes or of the movie 10 minutes of his work is in the movie Oh wow! And it's because he just kept saying no music, no music. Like this, ha- this can't yeah. have music. Well, but he likes it- to control sound, obviously. Like in the in the sometimes showing the footage, he puts the footage doesn't come with sound, so he puts his own sound under it. Uh-huh. And like, there's one that's like oddly oppressive, which is watching the men walk through the water. Yes, and just his like blorp sounds over they walk. Blorp. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just weird because it's not it's not like a disgusting sound or anything, but you get really. I found it very like. I don't know, oppressive or something. I had no idea watching it the first time or the second time that that is actually the most famous scene in the movie. Uh, it wasn't until I watched these documentaries about the movie about uh, how that was what almost got the movie canceled. And it's because that, that scene with the guys pushing the boat and it's because of how protective Russia is of like really any footage of anything. Yeah. Uh, that The guy who filmed that in 42 or whatever it was uh, was murdered immediately. The second he brought his footage back he was like, "Hey, look what I filmed!" And they were like, "Oh, did you?" And then they killed him. Yeah, because they they don't want this it- like stories out, right? Because it's a retreat. They're like, I, I think that they're, uh... they're they're retreating from Leningrad, and so that's like not a popular, I guess, version of that tale. You know, like a, a, a kind of like a defeat. But it's a long section of just it's not stock footage, but it's you know it's just newsreel footage. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's it goes on for so long that all we really do have is the music. And right. the guy does it, you know? It reminds me of, like, Ryan. the people who write music for, like, Sonic the Hedgehog or Super Mario Brothers. And they're like, uh, 
this better be good because people are going to hear it for hours yeah, and hours on end. That the, the parts of that stock footage, some of it I recognized, like the you know the nuclear explosion, but some of it I didn't, and that's where I thought, should I like look into what what this is depicting? Because I don't, I'm not sure how to approach any of this because I'm not sure right. what it is. Like, why are we suddenly seeing all these shots of Mao? Why are we suddenly? What I, is he saying here? They uh, that footage is from a time where China and Russia both thought they owned the same island. And there was like it was about to be in a war, and they both countries were like, "I we own the island," and then the other country was like, "I remember it differently," uh, and so it was like a war based on the, what the movie is about. And had probably the, the next big war conflict, the next big conflict that involves China will also probably involve islands. It's fun. It's a little There's bit. There's so many islands <laughs> that most conflicts are going to be about them. What does an art director do? What credit can we give to them? Art director is what you see. So like they had, and this this job was hard because they had to make like a uh, upscale 1975 Russian apartment. Because mm-hmm. like I feel like Alexi does well, right? He's like a probably a professor or something. Yeah, it's funny when you first see them; they're in their summer house, and so there's like such a rustic quality to all of it. And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, these are, these are poor Russian folk. And then it's like, no wait, this is their summer house though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then later you see like him as an adult. Yeah, like it seems like they've got a nice setup. So everything that you see on the frame was put there by the art director, um, and it's right. not necessarily like the mise en scene. It's not necessarily like. Uh, what is going to be included in the frame but I have to set up everything so if the frame gets it it looks like what I'm trying to do Mm -hmm. they assume get all the clearance for like the jolt colas that are in the background not this movie but I I don't want to like be like a Tarkovsky family member and say this was bullshit it didn't look like our past but I do have to say that uh, it, it felt like you know like times were hard yeah it felt like times we're hard. We all know what that sound means. Speed round. Speed round. What does telling this film out of order do? I think it it, it, it does its best to recreate what how memories work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the, like sort of the right. way in which our memories are not a neat thing that they're organized more by ideas and references to one another right. than they are in any sort of linear time, and so it's such an artificial construct to tell a story in linear time when it is about memory. And this is why I sort of love speed round is because if that was the first question, we'd be like, well, uh, but now that like we're through the episode, it's like, now we know, you know, now we're smart. We figured it out. Dads, huh? Yeah, Yeah. man. (laughs) How could you make a movie? How could you make a movie where like, it's about how your dad 100% abandoned you and how that messed you up. And then also, what I have to imagine is the analog for the director himself is like actively just like, I don't care for my child. He's just kind of a loser. I don't like this kid. Uh, no, I think abandoning your child is a two-generation thing. Like, if yeah, you abandon- then- It takes a village. If you abandon your child, then I think that your kid's going to be like, I shouldn't, but I might. And then it's the second generation's like, I'm absolutely not going to do to my family what my grandfather did to my family so many dads though right. they do abandon their family one way or the other a lot of them just stay but they emotionally abandon their family minari they, style yeah like they talk about where he just <laughs> grabs his empty coffee cup and leaves yeah i'm gonna go stand <laughs> in the yard how many dads just go stand at like as like they're still on the property but they're at the extreme end of it because they're just like i want to go <laughs> i don't want to be around have, anymore <laughs> more people have seen b movie than have seen mirror does that make sense did you guys see that story? Uh, speaking of Mike's giant printing press, uh, that uh, 
I think a server at a bar, you know, where like if you work at a bar, you type in the computer and it goes to the bartender uh, on a little strip of paper, typed in the entire script to B movie. And it was thousands of reels just printing out B movie. <laughs> Why do they have it memorized? Guys, uh, this is worse than Shrek for us because, you know, we're all of a certain age where like we don't understand the Shrek love. B movie is even further away from us and might have more love. What? And honestly, I would right. say B movie for the people that enjoy it has done more to improve their lives than Mirror has done to improve the lives of the people who have enjoyed Mirror. I guess that's no, that's not true. It's a better Mirror is a better <laughs> movie. I'm listen, I'm not saying B movie is a better movie. I'm saying it's brought more happiness into the world than Mirror has or but like happiness ever isn't everything. If our next uh, season, it is if you're a utilitarian. If our next season is the year that B movie came out, would it make the Elite Eight? No, it's Patreon for sure. Yeah, but we would watch Call the Patreon. And we'll watch that version where it gets twice as fast every time. <laughs> I have seen that. Be. That's only like eight minutes. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's a that's, delight. That's an easy watch. How 1975 does this movie ultimately feel to you? Is it hard because Russia? Uh, that's a good question. And I think it will probably be the least, even less than Barry Lyndon. Um, just because <laughs> it's funny. Like, Mike, the story that you told was like, oh, I had this idea in 1968 or whatever to make a movie about a man and remembering things like first of all Tarkovsky <laughs> wow way to fucking blow the doors off the script meeting yeah I, I also get why you don't have funding for a while you know memories I'm gonna make a movie about that yeah. and the guy you think should be on screen never is but the whole I mean the whole thing is timeless time is you know time is time and so Barry Lyndon has more attachment to 1975 than this movie has any attachment to literally any year ever created although i do it, have to say i think that the it, the more the bigger problem is not time it's location it's the fact that it's set in russia and that in the in 1975 and then into our childhoods in the 80s and stuff russia was just like this crazy other that did everything incorrectly correct. and like they were you know a, a barbaric backwards people i heard that in russia mirror looks at you <laughs> but this movie does such a good job right. just being like Everybody's weird, man. Everybody's messed up, right? Like Russians are just desserts. It's the dazed and confused of Russia. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> no matter how sane you are, they stay just crazy. Is this an example of a movie whose sequel, in this case, the 2012 Julia Roberts Snow White movie Mirror Mirror, is far better than Tarkovsky's original? Yes. Yeah, I don't think they were. We're not. We're not the podcast right. to argue against that. Next question. It's obviously better. Also, Mirror has two faces. Is better. The Mirror satellite. <laughs> mirror cats. Mere woods. Tall boys. Why using same actors to play different characters? That, uh, that's so confusing the first time you watch it, and then the second time you watch it, you're like, oh, that was smart. Good move. I had this fucking blister on my asshole from like going to college and taking like critical theory classes where like people were actively obtuse. You know, like they actively mm -hmm. didn't want you to understand what they were doing. And so sometimes, bike with the thing like this, I get a little I get on my haunches. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that was the case i don't I, I really think that tarkovsky wants you to understand and love as opposed to these some of these like authors who write in such a way mm. I, I think that he was trying to do things with memory and how like when i think back you know the mirror has two faces i think that this is his roma and his Itu Mama Tambien. And that's why. It's because oh, the experience... Greg, who did you draft in the last director? <laughs> <laughs> Let's think about that. The experience for a certain type of broken man is that they go out and then just absolutely 
like get like go out with their mom again and demand that, that woman also be mommy. Uh-huh. And so I think that like the literalness of that really works in this movie. And I swear to God, because of the looks, you know, like people in 1930s dressed differently than in the 1970s. If it wasn't for her three neck moles, I would have been more confused, you know, like that sort of tagged her to me as like the same person, but mm-hmm. they look so, so oh, different. Yeah. That... Especially when half the time she's in black and white and half the time she's in color. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> that so makeup was so good. How much is this movie a book of poetry as opposed to a novel? Pretentious. I love it. I, I mean, here's the fucked up thing about this movie. If, if I'm going to talk to anybody out of watching this movie, here's what it is. The narrator which is supposed to be the person that we lean on to help us through the story, only speaks in poetry, fuck you. Now I understand even less. And it's like when that rhyming demon from DC Comics pops up. Every single time, you're like, stop. Just talk normal. And (laughs) some of the the translations are unfortunate, too. I don't know, Ryan, you had the Criterion Collection version, so I, I don't think they did a great job transcribing the poems or it was not very possible to do but like right. one poem uses the word unwipable several times that's not Talking a great about a, that blister on ryan's asshole no poet <laughs> would ever put the word unwipable in their poem come on unless Let it was about the blister times. and yeah three different times i would th- th- when the narrator starts going uh was the time where i just had to keep reminding myself I left my phone outside for a reason. I left my phone. Yeah, outside like you have. For a that, I know, it's it's very hard, but like you, you're like you have you, to read this poem, dude. This is part of it. But like, you have uh, to read it. So I don't know. We're, we're who... definitely not letting Mike talk, who uh, has done so much poetry. <laughs> but like, uh, I think they were so much visual, and the camera and the structure of the movie is poetic in nature, which I love. But actual poetry right. is rough for me. Greg, should we move on? Does Ignat? kind of deserve no, Mike, come on i want to hear what you i, I was gonna say it is in the rewatching because like throughout anytime you're like you got to do it over and over again that's a poem if you're reading a poem like you're reading a short story you're doing it wrong if you're like i just got to get through these pages like that's not the point the whole point is to immerse in the and the emotion and the, the ambiance of all of it that's why i was and... so confused at like poetry readings because it's just so like it's just gone you know and like i need if i'm gonna read a poem and talk about it or feel like I need to just stare at it. You don't feel the first time. See, because I feel like the movie is a, is a poem in that the first time you watch it, your feelings about it are correct. That you is get, true. Right. You do get you are the emotion. Having feelings. And it's yeah. the analysis that comes later. It's, You're like yeah. backing it up. And yeah. The, nothing. I mean, there are some things you learn watching it a second or a third time that help explain those feelings to you. But that's all it's doing because the feelings have always been communicated to you correctly. And I, I think the same thing with poems. You know? I think I'm just uncomfortable, like the way my yeah. brain works until I can like take a pencil to it or... Well, as much as we like talking about movies, we cling onto our intellect so much, uh-huh. and that's what—that's how we derive our meaning, not just of the world but of ourselves, that our ability to understand things. Right. And so, when that becomes challenged, we can't let it go. We can't just Dumb. feel things, <laughs> yeah, right? Because that's our only understanding of ourselves. We go full Brian Regan. Yeah. <laughs> no, starting it over again. I'm going to understand Stupid. this. I'm going to understand every fucking part of this movie before I'm done. But it, I mean, it is true. Like uh, you had mentioned earlier, Greg. Like. Before you started over, you were like, uh, I guess I have to start it over. You know, like that was your yeah, only it's, option. It's unacceptable mm-hmm. that I don't understand this. That's how I literally felt. Like, and part of that is can't be- stand. Part of that is because we have the podcast and we have to like talk about it. But part of it is because my brain will fucking freak out if I don't watch it again and start to understand. Well, I see because you're you're left with the decision that a lot of the critics had when they first saw it. You can decide a 
this is good and I don't understand it, or you can decide B, this is bad, and so I don't have to understand because it. Because I don't. But understand if you it, under, yeah. if you say A, this I don't understand this, but I think it's good. You and you're critical. You have to understand it. You have to get there. So the only way you can truncate that is to be like, oh, it's bad. What I wish for everybody is to have their podcast because we're in the future, and that's what Andy Warhol, I think, said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Everyone because in the future gets fifteen minutes of or fifteen episodes of a 15 podcast, fifteen seasons of a podcast and a movie. <laughs> when showing up, like what, what I think a few years back, I would have been like, I gotta understand it. And now because of this, I'm like, we're gonna fucking crack it open together. Yeah. Like yeah. I do, I do wish like the like salons were a thing. We're like, I'm getting a bunch of friends together and we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna take it seriously because I find that so much more fun than me sitting there and be like, think about the movie harder. I was talking, figure it out. I was talking to someone who listens to this podcast and they were like, I need to find somebody in my life to talk to like, talk about with movies, talk Mm. about movies with, because that's when a lot of these really good movies, that's when they exist more than even on the screen. Yeah. When they're this community of like actually talking about them and this is what I saw and this is how I interpreted it. That's, that is what matters. And this 1975 season that has been, you know, like had so many guests, you know, like Taylor and Van and Kate and uh, Nate. And like we've had so many people, uh, you know, uh, do it, do an episode. This 1975 season has been the year of I am mediocre about this movie when the podcast starts. And right. I think I super dig this movie by the end of the podcast. Totally. Because of that. Is there any sense in which this movie is an apology for bad dadding? Yeah, I, I kind of had that question. Like, I feel like sometimes bad dads like to do this move where they're like, and then I turned it into art. And it's like, raise your fucking kid. Like, <laughs> turn that into art. Do you raise guys- your child. Don't just be like, well, I screwed up. But guess what? That became the experience that informed the thing that changed your perceptions. Based no. On, based on what I've read or watched on Criterion, um... He had a bad dad and then got into a bad marriage and had a bunch of kids and then was a bad dad and then left the that dream. family, <laughs> living the dream, and then left that family and got married again and had a kid. And it, the marriage was way, way worse than the first marriage. Oof. He was like, fuck, I should have stayed in that one. But he stayed in that one because he noticed the cycle and said, I'm not, I'm going to raise this one child. I'm going to raise Probably. one of these little jerks. Probably correctly. ignoring all the previous well, kids. You can, yeah, you know those kids hated the new kid because they're like, why does he get dad's love? Uh, also, <laughs> yeah, you, dude, that's a, that's a messed up story every time. You can be a good dad after you divorce. Don't stay in a bad marriage. Just be a good dad outside of the marriage, guys. But no, I don't. Guys, like, I'm talking to you men out there. I don't think men listen to podcasts, but no, I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that that no, is, they're too busy making them. <laughs> I think that's the thing, though, is that if I leave, I leave. You know, right. the same thing as like Greg was saying, like standing on the edge of your lawn. If somebody's like, "All right, you can you can go past the lawn," you're fucking mm-hmm. gone. Like <laughs> that's it. We never see you again. a dog off the leash. You're just off with, on the horizon. With thinking about bad dadding, do you think Ignat kind of deserves the way his dad loves him, though? Oh come on, because he didn't. He does seem a little bit like a turd. <laughs> Right? I mean, if we're getting into it, why not get into it? Like, I do, like, mm, I don't know. There's a lot, like, I think when you have a kid, you know, like, I imagine what it must have been like for my dad. Like, when you have a kid, like, it's going to be my son, he's going to throw a ball. And then my dad watching me play baseball and just being like, (laughs) ball goes right to the ground. Redo. This did not turn out. This one is all weird. Get divorced and start anew. I'm basically Bobby Hill to my dad. (laughs) 
Uh, Ignat is a bit of that certain type of child who like drinks coffee too young and, <laughs> and never has a Manny from Modern Family. Yeah, he's a Manny, and uh, <laughs> the dad's like, "Well, you know, keep yourself busy, invite a friend." And the kid's like, "What? <laughs> I have no friends." The kid is pissed that the dad would even think that the kid would have friends. <laughs> you fool! Like, how dare you? He like that- he doesn't run well, right? He. When he runs, no. it looks, it's he's a, he's a real. I would call him a uh, Ryan Greg Mike type. Yeah, dude, <laughs> this is a kid who like leaves his shirt on to go swimming, <laughs> right? Every time the rules for something are laid out, he's like, "What if this one thing were to happen?" It's like, "No, don't talk, Ignat." It's a it's a kid who tapes his nipples up just for normal walking. He spends <laughs> he spends like the whole party in the kitchen right. with the parents, and they even the parents Hell are yeah. trying to get him to go talk to the other kids. And he's like, "Oh, I just feel more comfortable talking to you guys." I don't know. He's the kind of kid who like. Does this need a blazer? Like, with every outfit that he puts on? <laughs> He's in board shorts. That is all the time we have. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's award season. Taste Buds. Can you believe that I don't know if this won any Academy Awards? Can I Can I believe that? Can you believe that? Uh, you know, it would be odd, I think, for you to introduce this as a bit. So I'm going to say, yeah, you're not sure whether or not this won any Academy Awards. And you're kind of trying to maybe get yourself a little bit of time to figure out whether or not it did. Here's the thing. Uh, I'll help you out, Mike. Uh, A movie like this that we sort of we try to go by American release dates because America fucking rules. Yeah, dude. That's that's the place to be born. Back to back World War champs. And it it is hard. Like we put this in 75, but I don't know if that's necessarily true the other thing too is that if it were to be nominated by oscars because it is a foreign language film it would have to be selected by russia and Mm. russia would get one choice so and russia didn't really like this movie yeah i I mean like russia multiple times said no just straight up no to this stop stop trying eventually they're like just have a low budget fucking make a movie about some russians who are just stoked on how they live in russia how about (laughs) that that sounds like something people would want to watch everyone's always like america fuck yeah why not russia fuck yeah dude give it up for russia 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 fuck yeah and more (laughs) russia fuck yeah so we're gonna give it a bunch of awards tonight starting with most relatable childhood moment ryan what do you got uh, my most relatable childhood moment, guys. I don't know what your childhood was like, but uh, the Alexia at one point points out I had a crush when I was a kid. She had red, red hair, and her lips were chapped as shit. She and so <laughs> always had a blister on those bad boys. And so right. was every other fucking lip in this goddamn movie. I swear to God, when I was a kid, uh, the sun resided two inches away from mostly my lips and just cooked those puppies like shrimps on a Barbie. <laughs> Especially if it's cold and windy where you live, which is oh, yeah. not really here, but in Russia, I heard sometimes you get cold and windy. Dang, Chappie right up. Chappie right up. The movie Chappie <laughs> was about my lips. <laughs> Greg, what do you got? Well, for me, um, right. it's funny. The one thing I, heard, I, I thought I had heard about this movie is about this dude's childhood. Uh, and that's sort of where the award comes from, right? It's about somebody's child. But sure. it, what's so interesting about the way it portrays childhood is that you are a passenger on somebody else's emotional roller coaster, and you're just there. You tag along, and that and is really that. The, the the passenger you are is your adult self. 
You're, yeah. you're just fucking up your future adult self. <laughs> yeah, you are yeah, you basically have yourself as a parent and you're one day will have yourself as a kid. And in all cases, you Holy are just Christ. totally screwing the pooch. <laughs> oh no. Right? Uh and so just like that feeling like being attached to an emotional environment I didn't understand and that there were these major undercurrents and everything, but ultimately, even though it was my life and my childhood, I was totally just an observer. I was just there in somebody else's drama, basically. I have an honorable mention, Mike, if I can go real quick. You may. As a The grenade thing. <laughs> as a young boy. <laughs> uh, the last scene that we've talked about a lot, my favorite scene in the movie, maybe my favorite scene of all time, uh, the camera's following this family, and the boy just stops and just goes like, oh! Yeah. And then catches back up. With the, that's what being a boy is like. One last <laughs> weird thing to happen in the movie where you're not like, because it happens, he starts making the noise off screen. Yeah. And you're right. like, did he just break his leg? And then it's just like, no. Nope, he's just, just standing there being a fucking moron. Because, dude, because if you point a camera at a little boy long enough, he's like gonna make a weird sound. Those or... screams are replaced by erections. But until you get erections, you just scream <laughs> randomly. Screaming. Uh, my most relatable childhood moment has already been referenced. It is hanging out with adults at a party thinking <laughs> they like your precociousness and it's clear upon introspection they do not at all. Uh, Have you guys heard one... jazz? <laughs> uh, you don't even know what jazz is. And then I start dancing because I think it's just a dance at that point in time. I think the Harry Potter books are too kitty. <laughs> Uh, I think permanent chapped lips is is very childhood relatable, <laughs> and that will represent here. Next up, we got Russia sucks, Greg. So I wasn't quite sure what the impetus behind this was, uh, but I didn't want to be too anti-Russia. But I will say the thing that caused me to be like, oof, wouldn't want to be in that situation, was uh, they're like going to go see the neighbors. And I don't exactly know what they're doing because the mom is like hiding behind the house and the kid is like, uh, seems, seems to get caught, almost runs away and then comes back and is like, oh, they're here. So, uh, but they walk into this lady's house. She's like, all right, come on in. Uh, and she's like, could you just wipe your feet? Oh my God. Uh, dude. And they are covered in in mud <laughs> Bare, they've been walking barefoot because that's how they, they cruise around at this time this isn't just because they're Russia it's because also there's war times and things are really tough but mm. it's a little Russian though. when I saw them trying to wipe off their feet and it's insufficient like <laughs> they do wipe their feet for one minute and then they're just like well mud on the thing mud on my feet mud on your floor I don't really know what to do here and he, they just give up he gives it a solid effort you would have to put this kid's feet through a fucking auto car wash <laughs> yeah dude you would need to like take a pressure washer <laughs> put it on low and just hose off these kids stank dogs because like they are covered <laughs> in mud such a that is also rat. mine he gives it he, <laughs> gi- he gives it an effort but man russia sucks so much that uh it's like why don't you have some feet with your mud that's what i would say as a dad joke to and then the, the, la- the lady looks and she's just like oh well what yeah it's say? fucking russia masha's just gonna have to wash this floor again tomorrow i guess masha waja there must just be something very Russian about that scene because it is mine as well. Uh, mine wasn't the the mud. It was more the I'm impeding upon them and now I want to leave and I'm trapped in this house. And that's going on. I was like, I don't know much about Russia, but that feels very Russian to hey, me. Hey, while so. you're here, could you do me a favor and slaughter this chicken? <laughs> yeah, what that feels so fucking Russian. <laughs> All right. So obviously, muddy feet that will never get clean is very Russia. Sucks. Cringe. Biggest cringe, Ryan. Um. I already referenced this. When the dad is talking about the chab lips, uh, he could have just said the girl had red hair, but he says red, red hair. And I don't love that. Like, what are we doing? Like, are we trying to like paint this picture of the evil ginger for the sun? No, but she's the fire itself. You know, like she's she's knowledge. The fire she, is Russia. 
<laughs> I think she's the fire. I think that he has an awakening when he looks at her. She's also shown like actually feeding things into a fire. She's red of hair herself. I like. I think that she is a, a little bit the flame itself. Wow, that's smart, Greg. <laughs> what's your biggest cringe? Uh, my biggest cringe was I just couldn't stop thinking like this director has kids. Like <laughs> it's whether or not he is like the disembodied voice. He is the disembodied voice, and he's basically like, my kids are dumb and useless, <laughs> and I just never really will like them. I always used to think about this with stand-up. Like, people would do jokes about their kids on like doing stand-up, uh-huh. and it'd be like, your kids are going to grow up and hear this. But like, that's also surface level that it's so easy right. to be like, yeah, I, I made some shit up, and I made fun of you. But this is like, no, you have affected me to the core. My hatred <laughs> I, and my... They, they both the mom and the dad basically say this kid is a reject and we're not sure like <laughs> what we're going to do with what, our stupid broken kid. You hate me so much you made art. You uh, <laughs> Rather than raise me, you made a whip-ass movie about how I suck. You are both wrong. The biggest cringe is, of course, uh, the doctor who walks by, who's just like, oh, what are you doing? Your husband around? Do you yeah. have a husband? There's no ring there? Uh, fuck right. that guy. I the love, biggest cringe is that guy. I love how he was like, well, you're not married. And she's like, what? How did you know? And he was like, uh, I'm a bit of a detective. I noticed that you didn't have a ring. All right. Yeah, it, anybody can notice you don't have a ring guy. It's interesting how that is a mirror, though, for the scene where she goes, I think, looking for him and uh, is like first impresses herself on somebody who doesn't want her there at her house mm-hmm. and then ultimately runs away with the woman being like, no, wait, stay, kill the chicken. Greg. That is a mirror. Oh my it's God. like a mirror. It's a movie. Pound it's like for pound an Andre Rublev. Ryan. Uh, pound for pound performance. I'm going to have to go with Alexi. I, I'm not talking about his grip on a bird. Uh, I already have said that that was stupid. But... <laughs> His control over the movie, and I think that it's because Tarkovsky may have had like a very special soft spot in his heart for this guy in this performance. I don't even know who the actor is, you know, but uh, him talking to his mom and his slow way of just sort of like getting into the flow of the movie, I think it's one of the all timers. I don't, I don't love the whole, and you never saw his face, you know, like <laughs> that seems like part of Tarkovsky's pitch for the movie, uh-huh. and it's supposed to be so like we can place ourselves in that role, but I've, I've never actually done that. I've never actually like seen a faceless person and been like, is it me? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times no, when you that see, demon's going to kill me. A lot of times when you see an actor portray something with their face, that helps you be yeah, like, that, I mean, that, that's, that's a little more relatable. That's where I we, have a face. Greg. That's where we look to see <laughs> how people are doing me. as we look at their face and we read the emotional cues thereupon. So it's, it's pretty odd not to give the audience that, but his couple of times, uh, the big one I would say is the phone call about Liza's death where we travel through the hallway, but the phone call with his son, there's, I think there's a lot of scenes where he is actually the, the, the performer that does the most with the least. Well, he has to Greg. I say it's Margarita Tarakova, uh, the mom. First of all, she's playing two different parts, right? Um, With five names between the two, and but like she, Eddie Murphy in Norbit. But she plays. She does. Margarita Tarakova and Margarita Tarakova and Margarita Tarakova in Mirror. You always have to do the one question. I always demand that part. The one where it's like, wait, even the big fat one. <laughs> yeah, record scratch. Oh it's, man, she whipped up a fat suit. Why wasn't there some fat neighbor that she also played? <laughs> uh, but 
and she plays them very differently. Like that, yeah. you can you can definitely tell which one it's supposed to be at different times. And so much of the movie is just like, and then we'll just show her face for ten minutes, and she'll start crying. Uh, it was, and you forget that you're watching a performance because she sinks into it so completely. That because I agree, and it's what I have written down is going to Greg. Hooray! It is Margaret Tarkova, specifically the question mark version <laughs> in the fancy. Finally, we have director's signature moment, Gregory. Okay, so I've never seen any of these guys' movies before, and I really just didn't feel like looking anything up because I was just so into the idea of only seeing this movie for itself. So I'm going to tell you what I think it is based on this movie, which is random hits of horror. And I'm not even going to go with the one that is like so intense with, with like the fading um, uh, like splotch on the table. I'm going to go with his mom, the dream he has where his mom is bathing. He comes out because he thinks he's, he hears his dad and his mom is bathing and she stands up and her hair is all in front of her face. And rather than just like whip her hair up over her head, the way you think people normally would, she just stands there and she Ugh. starts to look more and more disturbing. And then you realize like the walls are melting and water is pouring down them. And you're not totally into the dream logic yet. And for a second there, you're like, what are you showing me? What's going on? What's happening here? And Will I die in seven days yeah, because I watched this? Dude, she looks she looks a lot like the ring girl. Uh, and I was just so blown away by that shot. That is the shot that I think is definitely going to stick, stick with me of like five different shots. That's the one I, I picked that I think is him doing like his magic oh. the most. Ryan. I like we've talked about this to death on this episode, but like, I can't think of another director who I want to watch when their camera stands still mm-hmm. and see what happens. But when the camera moves, it really is like, I mean, like he lulls you into the, like this thing that we're like, where the, when the camera moves, that's so dynamic because we, it, it has been so slow and we're so like in the vibe of the movie that when the camera just moves a little bit, it's like we're on a roller coaster. You know, like, it, it like is when like they switch to shooting hand cam in Holy Grail to, for the arresting exactly. of Arthur. <laughs> Equal directors. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, we have to go to where the, the mom starts freaking out off camera and the camera just for a long time doesn't show us what we want to be seeing. They're screaming, you know, and instead we're like, we're, we're looking at milk. Like, bro, what? Like nobody wants to look at milk. I have milk. I can show milk. I have milk. Greg, can you nipple me? (laughs) Uh, but, uh, and then we finally, finally the camera gets up and it moves to the, uh, water and fire and, and it's wor- like it's worth seeing like he denied yeah, it no. for so long and then as soon as he shows it to you it's like oh man you know what bro no <laughs> i was <laughs> right i should have been saying this that's a big ass burning barn you got there but like i i think that the way that the two me and greg's picks combine is that uh like we there is you know in a like a non-cgi world uh in a non-helicopter world because i guess you can control wind we cannot control the way that fire and water looks and when i put it in the shot it takes over. Now it is the yeah. director, you know, and that's in it for a director that is so just uh, perfectionist and nitpicky and like everything has to be controlled. You can't just light a barn on fire or uh, <laughs> flood a room from the top floor and control it, you know, and that's when he is at his best. Yeah, I think uh, both of those are very good. I- I'm going to have to give this one to Ryan with the making the viewer scream at the camera to move so they can see the thing and being like, no, you're going to wait. What if Tarkovsky directed Star Wars? Oh, <laughs> it might go a little something like this. Finally, the last thing that I'm allowed legally to give points for is recommendations. Greg? 
So uh, I watched this movie just recently for the first time ever for our our, our suite of um, decade decade of remembrance shows, and it's another movie where you the whole time you're like, I'm not sure if I understand what's going on, but you do. You just have to trust yourself that you do. And because it's set in America, I think it ha- it's a lot easy. It's a lot more straightforward for American audiences. And it's Tree of Life. Uh, mm. Tree of Life is like doing a lot of things. Bad dads definitely bad dads for sure bad dads and like the different the different the different flavors of bad dad that you get um but you know like because like like because like maybe maybe your dad disappears literally right maybe your dad passes maybe your dad disappears into like rage and heavy-handedness you know and that's what brad pitt does in that movie but also there's a lot of like film stuff going on and a lot of uh meadows with wind going through yeah grass shots of jellyfish and like first for a lot of it you're like am i getting this and it's like if you are feeling things right now then you're getting it you know Mm -hmm. and i i it's just i think it's more approachable than this movie uh but it's which is crazy to say yeah but it still has that it still has the joy of you feel like you're helping to construct the meaning of the movie and so that binds you to the movie a little bit Uh, yeah i think it's an awesome if you like Let's just say, I don't know who out there has this exact same situation, but if you saw The Tree of Life and didn't love it and then saw The Mirror, uh, go back and watch The Tree of Life and you're, it's going to open itself up to you. The Mirror did not have a dinosaur interlude, mm-hmm. I noticed. Mm, which is always, a uh, for a dino lover like myself, that means it's not as good. <laughs> Mike has very specific Mike-edited movies where he puts some dinosaurs in the middle of every movie. Ones that make it better? Yeah. Ryan, recommendation? Uh, I wanted to go 2001. You know, we've been talking about uh, Barry Lyndon, um, but I think that the Kubrick movie that this is, you know, guy on his deathbed with a bunch of shit that we yeah. have to grapple with uh, is 2001. But I want to make these a little less seen than everyone's right. seen 2001. Uh, so I went with, it's crazy, in the same way that Greg picked Malik and now Tree of Life seems simple, I actually now think Bergman seems simple. You know, <laughs> like... Uh, and I, I went with Wild Strawberries, which is a guy who is getting older, probably about to die, on a journey to go like get some award that he's won, like a, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and then just goes through all of this. And it's, it is not straightforward, but compared to this, it's extremely straightforward. And if you're on this like post-mirror thing, go watch this Bergman movie, and it will be one of the best movies you've ever seen. And you'll you'll understand it right away because you fucking watch watching Mirror is an accomplishment. Like there should be a, like an Xbox <laughs> thing at the top of our screen. I'm that gonna says, print out diplomas for all of us to hang on our walls. Make I sure mine Mirror. says three three X. Yes. Let us never forget. Yeah. You, you I know. I won't. Mirror. <laughs> I got triples uh, of Mirror. Both of those are very good recommendations. So I gave you both points, which means points mean nothing there. Uh, my recommendation is uh, there's a collection of poetry called Night Sky with Exit Wounds by Ocean Vong. Uh, what a title. And dope title. Uh, dope writer's name. Uh, his novel just came out as well. But this collection, one, lean into the poetry. But I think because uh, it works like so much poetry does, works with memory, some dreams. But... Uh, you know, he is more our contemporary in age, but there's, while talking about family on the edges, there it's about the fall of Saigon. It's about the v, uh, the Vietnam War. 9-11's there. So it's how all these giant things are just on the edges of growing up. Wait, fall and, of Saigon. Was that 1975? Uh, I don't know. 
Let's it w- see. It was. It was. It was. It was, was 1975. Like so even better, Mike. I get a point. Yeah. For that. I thought we thought you were doing that on purpose, big guy. And I guess Ryan gets a point for helping me out. Ah. Um, sometimes my brain is cool and creates things that I don't even understand. <laughs> so yeah, nice. It's a very generous way to interpret that, Mike. <laughs> 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 But yeah, uh, a book of poetry yes. for the Rexec is yeah. I mean, it's it's something that we should probably do more often. And if there's one movie to do it for, it's this one. All right, I'll. You know what? Challenge accepted. I will always try to find a book of poetry. Pickles, uh, you're gonna water it down. Sorry, you're listeners. Ruining it right away. So what would go with Holy Grail? Uh, okay, we already did that one. Some limericks, I guess. <laughs> it is time to award best friendship and talk about where we think mirror will be in the bracket this was a pleasure to host a pleasure to listen a pleasure to participate in conversation i think this was the highest awarded points i've given all season so far that means me and greg are smart you guys Woo. are smart there's also a lot of joke points given so we're also Ryan, funny 44 points 44 okay greg you got 42 points Aww. you both should be proud of yourselves but ryan is my best friend for this next week yeah i feel i feel shame i don't feel proud at all 42 points is nothing to yeah, snarf Yeah, I got at. second place out of two, Mike. Hey, uh, Cassie. Cassie's sitting here waiting to record Superhero. Uh, Cassie, I won. Just say no. If it, if it helps, I got four points. That's not that many at it all. It doesn't help. How do we think Mir is going to do? Dude, I got to be honest with you right now. It's another one of those. What does it mean? What does the podcast movie of the year mean? Because uh-huh. I am sort of, after this week and after this episode... I'm sort of thinking it's this versus Mulholland Drive as the best movie we have ever watched for the show. I was going to say, that did not come out this year, so it cannot. But I but see what you're saying now. Mulholland Drive did win, deservedly. Uh-huh. I don't... Mulholland Drive, maybe... I don't, it's weird. It does, it does feel like it would be very hard to argue that there is going to be a better movie than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, Rocky I'm, Horror is coming. So. I'm almost sure there's not going to be one, but it's not just the best movie that we see in that year. Right. Uh, it is, you know, it like, does it say the things it needs to say about 1975? Did it have the appeal that it needed to have well, in 1975? There's th- this accessibility line where I think Mulholland Drive just barely is on this side. It just barely won because of its lack of accessibility. Mm. Whereas this one is clearly over the line and maybe can't be the movie of the year. Even though it might be the best film. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, we don't also we don't want to say to people like, here's what the movie of the year is. It's this movie you haven't seen and you don't you haven't really heard of. That's not good for ratings. Well, it's and it's just not going to feel right. Like, right. Yeah. Because part of how does it own that year? Yeah. There's supposed to be like this kind of click that happens that after we do it, when we say 1975's movie of the year is Dog Day Afternoon is Jaws, right? It's going to feel like, oh, okay, undeniable. We're trying to we're trying to tell the like the history of cinema. Is that too lofty? Uh, in a way yeah. that the Oscars are not able to. We always say movies are a lot of things. We're trying to pick one that encompasses as much uh, of that as possible. Yeah, that's that, there it is. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, there are a lot of things that go into how we decide what the movie of the year is. Just being probably the best movie we've ever seen, unfortunately... Like it's just not if that's enough. not enough to that's not enough to sew it up. It's not because it would the inter, the whole enterprise would be less interesting if that's all it took. But it takes more than that. Am I glad I watched it? Yes. It's like one of the best pizza pieces of art I've, and pizzas. And what it's, it's one of the best pizzas I've ever smelled. Top ten pizzas, certainly. It's a real deep dish. 
right? That is all the time we have to talk about the Detroit style pizza. That is that's Greg's pull the criterion. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a, a real Coming up throughout the season, we have Shampoo, Three Days with Condor, and One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and so many more things to come. So until then. <laughs>